Yes, I'm talking about a nonviolent revolution of consciousness. A consciousness that is able to understand how we're all inextricably connected to each other on this earth and to the earth itself. And that if we violate those fundamental principles, we do so at our own peril. Yes, we can continue to live in this delusion and the denials of reality because it's painful. It's frightening. Sometimes it's terrifying. It's terrifying to face the truth. So I ask each of you to search your hearts as to what your truth is for being a citizen of the earth, promoting justice as a foundation for peace. It's not going to happen magically. And I think it's not going to happen by relying on these political structures and institutions. I think we're going to have to wage peace in the most extraordinary ways, whether our government wants it or not. You will know in your heart what to do. But I know that without a nonviolent revolution of consciousness, we will not survive as a civilization or as a planet. We can choose to have peace if we want to pay the price. And what more glorious goal and value do we want than peace for all people? And so I look forward to working together with you all with we the people, to build a new society, a society that understands that we are not worth more and they are not worth less, and that we will be willing to pay the price and take the risks to wage peace with all fellow and sister human beings. Uh, welcome to a special episode. I say that every fucking time, but this one was truly a special episode of the Sample Hour. Uh, Mick and I, I have a special co-host today. At this is at Drew Sample, and I have a special co-host today, Mister at Hostel Poet or Mick Guzman. What's going on, Mick? Hey, what's up, brother man? Hey, uh, so uh, we just got off. Uh, typically we record these before or. Right before we talk to the person, but uh, I just want to say I had a lot of fun talking to Jan, and it, most of the time, like I'd have something I'd want to ask him, and then he would say something that uh, would just like make my brain think differently, because I'm like, wow, wow, it just hit me with so much information. But um, I just want to say, uh, Jan, if you listen to this, thank you so much for uh, doing this podcast with Mick and I, and we're sorry about the the confusion that took place beforehand. Um, we don't get to properly introduce Jan, so uh, Mick, would you want to do an introduction right here for him? Yeah, um, well, he he says it at the end, but he is the uh, he he has the Gnostic Media podcast, and he's you can find him at gnosticmedia.com, and he is uh, somebody who uh, I've personally have learned a lot from because of the way that he's formatted his website and his podcast into educating people to be more aware of what's going on so it's not that you know he, he hasn't his only agenda is really to you know uh, alert the public of uh, the the 
manip- the massive manipulation that started taking place, uh, you know, in, in our society uh, through MK Ultra, the CIA, uh, a lot of that stuff, and and really it's been going on. The idea of that really stems from ancient Greece, and um, so these are not new ideas. This is just a uh, you know, something that's happening modern day and how it relates to our modern culture and education. And uh, so it was just a lot of information that we got um, today. But if you could just go to his website and intently, like just intent, just tell yourself, like, I want to learn something from here. You know, for those people that are not going to grasp some of the words that he says, use context clues, write those words down and then look them up later. But he lays out stuff and uh, I think he's going to be somebody who, uh, decades from now, is going to, you know, be seen as somebody who contributed to society in a big way to open the minds of many people. Enjoy this special Postal Poet podcast slash the Sample Hour episode. And uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, let us know. Give us some feedback. And enjoy the show. Pow. Yeah. One of the, may may I say something? Um, One of the things that uh, the background that I have is from a fundamentalist Christian point of view. So I know that Billy Graham had a big influence in the Christian community at that time, which, uh, you know, um, like he was very good friends with uh, Alan, um, what's the CIA director in the 1960s? Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles. And, you know, in one one I don't know if you've researched this, but in one of the documents, they said that the interpreter for Billy Graham to the Soviet Union, the CIA had requested to send um, <clears throat> to send uh, a CIA person, and that he neither said yes nor no. And uh, so, you know, is it's like. They were playing on these people's uh, beliefs, maybe, uh, to to get them. Like that was my question. Like, do you think that they were playing on their beliefs, or do you think that these people were willing, uh, uh, like, uh, participants in this? Uh, well, you know, there's there's a lot of both that goes on in this sort of stuff. You know, there's you have your your willful idiots that don't know any better, who don't t- check the citations and just go along with what they're told, which is most of the people and then you have those who are you know directing and and directly participating in this stuff you know it's um i i just got a uh, an interesting file today regarding uh al hubbard who is uh, mr captain trips he was influenced heavily by aldous huxley new bill wilson sydney gottlieb uh george hunter white humphrey osmond he was really tied in with the core of uh of MK Ultra and and doing a lot of the original research, but one of his uh, letters that I just received today, and I've, let me just pull it up here, see if I can find it here. It's uh, really interesting, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> geez, got too many here. You know, I'm getting some static here. Hold on a second, I'm just looking for this document because it's very interesting. The uh, all right, uh, so okay, hold on a second. Okay, here we go. It says, our investigation of some of the current social movements affecting education indicate that the drug usage prevalent among student members of the new left is not entirely undesigned. Some of it appears to be present as a deliberate weapon aimed at political change. And this is uh, a letter uh, 
to uh, Dr. Willis Harriman, uh, Harriman, who is also involved in the uh, MKUltra program, and he was the Educational Policy Research uh, Center director. And this is written from uh, Al, Al Hubbard, who is one of the key people involved in MKUltra, and it's written on Stanford Research Institute letterhead dated October 2nd, 1968. Now, in my article on manufacturing the deadhead, I also had cited... Um, Oh, uh, Louis Jolly and West comments there about how they uh, were using, uh, you know, drugs to target specific political and uh, social social groups. So let me just read that to you here. And, um, you know, so Louis Jolly and West, and this is from uh, his book, uh, Hallucinogens, I think is what it's called. The role of drugs in the exercise of political control is also coming under increasing discussion. Control and this, and he is, by the way, a CIA MK Ultra researcher. Control can be either through prohibition or supply. And this is key, folks, because they say, well, why did they outlaw drugs? Well, if you think about the war on drugs and, you know, how, how widely used was marijuana when it was out, outlawed, there was about 60,000 average users known in the 1920s and 30s. Now there's many millions. Right. And, you know, and all of the uh, the anti-drug commercials, they're actually, you know, when you think about it, they're actually promoting this stuff. But right. And adding uh, introducing the concept. Mm -hmm. Sure. Let me just read the rest of this quote, though. The total or even partial prohibition of drugs gives the government considerable leverage. And see, this is key here. The total or even partial prohibition of drugs gives the government considerable leverage for types of control. An example would be the selective application of drug laws permitting immediate search or no-knock entry against selected components of the population, such as members of certain minority groups or political organizations. But a government could also supply drugs to help control a population. So see, they're playing the dialectic, the problem-reaction-solution here. This method foreseen by Aldous Huxley in Brave New World, 1932, has the government – and Aldous Huxley, by the way, I don't care – what people think that he's warning us to, about this stuff, and we'll go into it in a moment here. But Aldous Huxley is the key guy behind MKUltra. In his book, Moksha, you can see him directing and uh, pulling together all this research that he'd just have no way of accessing unless he was on the end. But he also worked with Alan Dulles and Gordon Wasson at the Century Club, where a lot of the stuff was being directed from. And so uh, let's see. Uh, has the government uh, element employing drugs selectively to manipulate the government in various ways. To a large extent, the numerous rural and urban communes, which provide a great freedom for private drug use and where hallucinogens are widely used today, are actually subsidized by our society. Their perpetual their perpetuation is aided by parental or other family remittances, welfare and unemployment pay payments, the benign neglect by the police. In fact, it may be more convenient and perhaps more economical to keep the growing numbers of chronic drug users, especially of hallucinogens, fairly isolated, excuse me, and also out of the labor market with its millions of unemployed. To society, the communards with their hallucinogenic drugs are probably less bothersome and less expensive if they are living apart than if they are engaging in alternative modes of expressing their alienation, such as active, organized, vigorous political protest and dissent. The hallucinogens presently compromise a moderate but significant portion of the total drug problem in Western society. The foregoing may provide a certain frame of reference against 
which not only the social but the clinical problems created by these drugs can be considered. So, I mean, this stuff is very clear here. And Aldous Huxley is very clear in his works. You know, Aldous Huxley all along is promoting the, uh, the ultimate revolution. And he says, I believe the world's rulers will discover that infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons, and that the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. And so, you know, Aldous Huxley came up with this idea of, of Soma in his book Brave New World, which is the drug that uh, keeps everybody dumbed down and happy. That's the key. They're all happy, happy, just like the psychedelic movement is always in this positive, uh, you know, uh, every, everything has to be positive sort of uh, state of mind here. So it's about keeping them happy and, and uh, loving their servitude. Now, it's key for people to realize that Aldous Huxley was a Fabian socialist. The Fabian Socialist logo or icon is the wolf in sheep's clothing, and it, and uh, it has on two sides two guys banging, uh, basically molding the the world. And you know uh, the Fabian Socialists they're selling socialism essentially to dumb down and control the masses. And Aldous Huxley is very clear about this, <clears throat> but you know a lot of people confuse his Fabian Socialist uh, pretend warning of the public. You know, what, he'll, what he would do is he would go out in the media and warn people of the very studies that he was directing. Like, for instance, he would go to various universities and labs and work with these doctors who are actually performing all of the animal experiments and drug experiments and say, oh, this is so horrible that you're doing this. But, you know, you might want to consider doing this study also. Right. Similar and to... Uh, similar to the warning that Eisenhower gave us about the military industrial that's exactly, complex. That's exactly right. And in fact, uh, just this week, we released a new episode with James Corbett, uh, the video version, and we show these different examples. And in fact, Eisenhower worked with Huxley and Alan Dulles and Gordon Wasson at the Century Club. And we do have the primary documents that prove that. Wow. That's that's incredible. Something that when I was reading uh, Manufacturing the Deadhead, um, I, I tell you what, I didn't even really start reading as an adult until I, like, I kind of got sucked into network marketing and then like, they're all big on like the new age, you know, read all these books, sure. self-help books, thinking, Correct. You know, secrets and, and, uh, what the bleep do we the, know? Yeah. Yeah. Grow uh, What is, uh, the secrets of the millionaire mind and yeah. think and grow rich and all of these different books. And these are all of the the same sort of category. And in fact, a couple of years ago, I interviewed uh, Dr. Barbara Ehrenreich on my show, who's the author. She's a pretty famous uh, researcher, but she wrote a book called Bright Sided, How the Relentless Promotion of Positive Thinking Has Undermined America. And the goal with this stuff is to really keep people in this sort of delusional positive thinking, not, you know, and they dismiss automatically anything that's so-called negative. Now, how you can judge what's negative Without studying it first, you know, if, if if somebody comes up to you and has information that could protect you, how is that negative just because it might reveal something, you know, so-called bad? But if you don't study these things and if you're just killing the messenger using fallacies to dismiss things that you haven't studied, then what they're doing is they're effectively keeping you off balance. And that is the key with all of this stuff. 
And uh, those who've studied the Kabbalah, they'll realize that, you know, what they're doing with this positive thinking movement is using the Kabbalah. They're keeping people in different sephirah. Uh, points to keep them off balance. So, you know, that is the goal is you dismiss people with fl fallacies and the word fallacy comes from the, the Latin fallare to lie. So you dismiss people with lies that you tell yourself rather than checking and verifying what they have to say before you dismiss them. And then to take it one step further, what they've done is they've promoted this uh, ridiculous idea that there is no truth, that truth is arbitrary. You know, and when you get into Terrence McKenna's work, his book, uh, The Invisible Landscape, from beginning to end, for those of you who haven't read it, is actually an attack on thought. The, the first section of the book is all about time is a flux. There, you can't know time. The second part is brain. The brain is all a hologram. You can't know anything. The third part is, you know, reality is all but this quantum delusion. You can't know anything. Therefore, you might as well not even try. We're just in a sort of uh, a state of, uh, of um, moral relativism and all of this stuff. And then when we get in and we research the background and the origins of these ideas, we find that the origins of them come from the same groups of people. And, uh, you know, quantum physics and I did a, and, and every time I bring this up, people get outraged without ever researching the work first. So rather than remaining emotionally attached, attached, set your emotions aside and just go to my website and pull up David Harriman's two interviews, the, uh, the logical leap and the philosophical corruption of physics, study those, and then go to Richard Grove's uh, Peace Revolution podcast and listen to episode number 62. And in there is the full six-hour lecture series by David Harriman called The Philosophic Corruption of Physics. And in there, he lays out how Kant and all of these guys laid out the foundational philosophy that is entirely erroneous of what became quantum physics, tricking people into not believing that they can trust their own five senses to look up a citation and find truth. And, you know, they never ask who this sort of mentality benefits. Does it benefit you to not look things up? Who does that behavior benefit to just dismiss things that you haven't looked at first, you know, or to approach things with your preconceived conclusions about them? We should always approach new information, take it in first, remove our own fallacies or lies from the information, remove the fallacies from the information itself, Remove all of the contradictions and then come to a conclusion about it. You know, if we think of all information has to be processed in this way, input, processing, and output. If we don't input the information before we attack it or process it, how do we know what, what we're even attacking is even relevant? You know, so it's like, you know, guys like Simon Powell and Joe Rogan and all of these guys who attack my work now, and I was friends with with Joe Rogan for years. And, you know, these guys, all of them actually refused to review any of the worker citations. I showed up at uh, Joe Rogan's house in 2011, in fact, with a box full of hundreds of pages of primary documents that I had uh, acquired from various universities that showed that Wasson was CIA. Rogan refused to look at any of it. He refused to allow me to present it on his show. And then Simon Powell, I offered him to look at all the documents too. Same thing. They refused to look at any of it. And then they set up these straw man arguments or lies that don't relate to a single thing that I wrote or said. And then they attack that and make it look as though they're attacking me and my work publicly. And then they get all of the other, you know, the dum-dums out there who don't look and check citations and just want to do this unbalanced, you know, positive pillow sitting, they fool those people with their simple name calling attacks. You know, so somehow these people actually believe that 
launching all of these name-calling attacks and all of this ridicule and nonsense at me is somehow spiritual and more positive than actually going and looking at the work. I just don't get it. I mean, these these people are completely befuddled. It's unfortunate. It makes me really sad to think that the majority of the people are emotionally driven. You know, well, and, you know, let me let's let's stop on that point for a second before you uh, go on there and hold your mm-hmm. thought there, because, you know, people through the compulsory education system have been conditioned to react that way. And because they're so conditioned to not bother to look at, you know, at citations and facts, anytime you'll present them information, they'll just ridicule it. This goes back to input processing and output. And this is essentially the trivium. The trivium is grammar, logic and rhetoric. Grammar is who, what, where, and when, which is input. Why or logic is processing, and rhetoric or how is output. So if you don't ask who, what, where, and when before you try and process information, then all you're left with is why. You're trying to explain why something is. So basically you have to channel things from your anus, and you can't tell the difference if it's real <laughs> information or a fart, right? So this is you know, so this is the issue that all of these people get caught in is they think that their farts are real channeled information and they don't do a single thing to verify these so-called channelings uh, in in reality because they think that reality doesn't exist because a bunch of Kabbalists have fooled them into believing that they can't trust their own five senses. Yeah, I, I think like the fascinating thing for me was when um, I was saying like, because I was literally like, when I when I heard your podcast with uh, Dr. Colin, um, I forget his last name, I'm sorry. Um, Colin Ross, Dr. Yes, Colin sir. Ross. Yes, sir. And uh, an MK Ultra expert. Yeah. And and like it was just like blowing my mind. Like I literally Mick and I like literally we talked about how we we felt like we could just see the codes of the matrix. I mean, it registered with us. It makes sense. It's not like it's not like it's an empty argument where it's just purely somebody fighting with emotions and they're not really. Well, that's what that's what the attacks against the work are, because you'll notice none of the attacks that I get actually deal with any of the work that I've written, not Rogan, not Simon Powell, not this guy, Johnny Enoch, you know, all of these guys that go all over the internet and attack work. You will never, ever, ever see them address anything that I actually wrote. Yeah. It's um, I remember the one article in reality sandwich, the guy, it seemed like more, he was, attacking you while trying to promote his own book that he wrote at the same time. Sure. Well, and he's just attacking the idea, you know, that, well, you know, we're all in this spiritual thing and they couldn't have, but I think these guys are probably just sophists and probably aware of what's really going on. You know, I mean, it's possible that Simon Powell could be that intellectually bankrupt, but, um, I mean, you know, when you look at guys like him and Daniel Pinchbeck, I mean, you know, when you think about it, all the, all of these guys, and we haven't really gotten into this yet, and this is laid out in my article, Manufacturing the Deadhead, but the real goal of this agenda is to bring about a new neo, uh, a neo-feudalism or a new dark age, right? So when you go through and you look at their books, like, like uh, Terrence McKenna's book is The Archaic Revival. Uh, Daniel Pinchbeck's book is The Return of Quetzalcoatl. You know, uh, if you get Simon Powell's book, he's promoting these same regurgitations, McKenna is McKenna and these other guys. And it's just the same constant, you know, promotion of the old is the good, you know, technology and science bad. You know, they don't even have an understanding of what science is. Critical thought is bad. All Western, all Western thought is bad. All Eastern thought and all shamanic thought is good. Just with sweeping blanket 
generalizations and statements, never mind that they're writing all of this stuff on a computer, which requires science, right? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, doing all of these, you know, sorts of things, the internet and all of this stuff, but they don't even see the contradictions in their own logic when they go out and they promote these things. But when you get, when you step back and you see that Aldous Huxley and the ultimate revolution, what Esalen is pushing and Michael Murphy and these guys, when you see that it's this archaic revival and, and McKenna admits in the archaic revival that that's just a renaming of the new age because, as he admits, it it, it it reveals better what it is. And in there he admits – well, here, let me see. I'll just read this to you. These things are all part of the new age, but I have abandoned that term in favor of what I call the archaic revival, which places it in a better historical perspective. When a culture loses its bearing, the traditional response is to go back into history and find the previous quote-unquote anchoring model. An example of this would be the breakup of the medieval world at the time of the Renaissance. They had lost their compass, so they went back to Greek and Roman models and created classicism, Roman law, Greek aesthetics, and so on. So, you know, he's saying, okay, because the, they did this, apparently, with no real evidence that we need to do this. But what he's showing is like, you know, you know, we need to go back to this point of the Renaissance. And then he goes on, the time wave... <clears throat> Within the time wave, a variety of resonance points are recognized. Resonance points can be thought of as areas of the time wave that are graphically the same as the wave at some other point within the wave, yet differ from it through having different quanti uh, quantified values. For example, if we chose an end date or zero date of December 21st, 2012 AD, and by the way, this was just added arbitrarily in the 1993 edition of the book. It's not in the 70s version. Uh, then we find that at that the time we are living through is in re resonance with the late Roman times and the beginning of the dark ages in Europe. So he admits right here that his whole thing about 2012 is just done arbitrarily. He just sets that date to, to, to promote this. In another quote, he says, uh, I guess I am a soft dark ager. I think there will be a mild dark age, but I don't think it will be anything like the dark ages of the last thousand years. And then in another quote that I have, he actually says that he wants all technology to stop for about 2000 years. You know, a bunch of people attacked me for that when I said it on another interview, but just go in and read his, his book. And it's all listed on the website. I broke down the whole argument. I had to do an entire you know, uh, subject and predicate breakdown for people to see the argument clearly. <clears throat> but um, so, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, in, in Jace, in the introduction to the invisible landscape, there is a very telling quote there by Jay Stevens that, you know, who's the author of uh, Storming Heaven that really tells all. And uh, it says, quote, our appetite for simplicity has caused us to compress the chaos of the 60s into one monolithic quote-unquote, youth revolt. But there were two different philosophies then among the revolutionaries on how the world might be remade. One path endorsed by political power and using the vantage to raise consciousness and save the, the world. The other path proposed an attack on consciousness itself using a controversial and soon outlawed family of psychochemicals, the psychedelics. Now let me read that again. The other path and this is in the introduction to Invisible Landscape, Terrence <laughs> McKenna's book. The other path proposed an attack on consciousness itself using a controversial and soon outlawed family of psychochemicals, the psychedelics. So right there, it is very clear. Now, in, the, uh, intro, or in uh, this other talk uh, called Speaking the Unspeakable from Maui 1994, 
And this is just to paraphrase, you know, or, or not, uh, you know, what I did was I just removed the superfluous stuff when people can read the full quote on my website. But Terrence says, the mushroom said, but since you brought it up, I would be very interested in seeing a set of social policies, tax incentives, medical policies, insurance policies put in place to limit. Hey, guys, can you uh, mute your microphones or something that's really distracting the phones and the water pouring and all that? Yeah, I think that was me. The I'm mushroom sorry. said, was, hey, hello, guys, are there? I didn't realize it was that loud. Yeah, it's extremely loud. So can you please uh, mute your mic there? The mushroom said, but since you brought it up, I would be very interested in seeing a set of social policies, tax incentives, medical policies, insurance policies put in place to limit male birth. This is the way to feminize the human race. I am a feminist. As a humanist, I advocate a reduction in male birth. Now, what he's doing here is he's promoting the exact antithesis of the communist policies in China and, uh, you know, what's going on there. So. Uh, he's attacking men here and rather, you know, and he's putting the words in the mouth of the mushroom to present it. But first he starts off the mushroom said, and then he says, as a humanist, I advocate, right? So then he switches it. He does a, a change up in his whole wording there to trick people. And, um, you know, so <laughs> this whole thing, when you, when you get in and study the origins of modern humanism, you realize that that came from Julian Huxley, Julian Huxley, was the head of the British Eugenics Society. He founded UNESCO to promote all of these exact same things. Uh, and uh, Julian Huxley also came up with the transhumanism that uh, Terence McKenna was always promoting, which is basically the merger of technology and man so that they can spy on us all 24-7. And so, uh, you know, and then if, if people, you know, and, and people will think, uh, oh, well, feminism, I'm a feminist too. Feminism is a wonderful thing. Well, rather than just jumping on the bandwagon there, I recommend people look up an, a Canadian researcher, Karen, who I interviewed on my show, and her YouTube channel is called Girl Writes What? And in there, she's done a, a series of many videos that completely disproves the entire foundation of feminism and shows how that, just like what we're exposing here with the psychedelic movement, is an entire fraud. And so uh, I very highly recommend people checking that stuff out. And I know a lot of women and others will get very upset at this, but just, you know, go and look at the research emotionally detached first, input processing output. Don't get outraged over why before you've even studied the information. This is not critical thinking. It's not balanced thinking and it's not good or healthy for you. So just go look up the work first, see what she has to say and then you can think about it clearly and rationally rather than just reacting to something that you're ignorant about. Yeah. So just as like for my personal, just trying to still wrap my head around like the classical trivium versus the trivium method. So when they do these, when, when, when these things are getting set into place with like, because it it's just so true, like emotional intelligence is so key in rep in like unveiling the truth for yourself and I right. think, and and it's like, and I, and that's what's like so attract, like what really kind of got me glued in to like trying to learn the trivia, the trivia method properly. So are, would it, would you say it's like the classical trivium, which is like, cause they set up these things to try to. Sure. Well, sure. Let me answer your question here very simply because all of these guys refer back. Like if you study uh, Terrence McKenna, if you study Timothy Leary, et cetera, they often refer back to somebody by the name of Marshall McLuhan. In fact, Terrence McKenna has many talks out there about, uh, you know, uh, McLuhan and and this sort of stuff. And so uh, when we get into McLuhan's work, we realize that 
McLuhan wrote his PhD thesis on the classical trivium. Okay. So, you know, one of the guys that they're using all this stuff from, in fact, Marshall McLuhan came up with tune in, turn on, drop out. He's the one that invented that. It was not Leary. He just gave it to Leary and Leary sold it. And, you know, Leary and Alan Watts and Allen Ginsberg and uh, Gary Schneider, et cetera, they were the ones who developed that that meme together at Alan Watts uh, houseboat in, you know, in the in the 60s. And so. um you know, this was orchestrated, but you know, when you, when you get that the classical trivium is about mind control and then the trivium method is essentially the antithesis of that. It reveals how the classical trivium works and how they use it. You know, it, it basically the classical trivium, you know, what they'll, uh, you know, so one way to mind control people with the classical trivium, for instance, is just to get the masses to put logic before grammar. Like I've already been saying, you get them to try and sit, state why something is, before asking who, what, where, when. So they either have to appeal to some authority figure, usually a government or, you know, official or, or something like that, or they literally channel, channel it from, you know, the Pleiades or Uranus or wherever the hell they get it from. So there's no input. And of course, you know, like just in your computer, you know, as the old saying, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? So if, you, if you're not taking in any valid information before you reach decisions, then all of your decisions are going to be false or not necessarily all of them, but quite very many. And so this is the key idea. Whereas, you know, when you get that the, the trivium method, for instance, is who, what, where, when, why, and how, or input processing output, you can see that, you know, who, what, where, and when, that's just the basic information of, of, you know, basic gathering of information. Who are we talking about? Where were they? When was it? Where, you know, so it's just really simple, basic questions that we were uh, taught in second grade to ask to gather information about anything in the world around us. And so they've taught through the compulsory education system and through quantum physics not to do this anymore, that we don't need this and that we should just think with all of our emotions to come to any conclusion. And in fact, they're actually literally teaching this garbage in first grade now. And so, uh, you know, so when you get that, you know, who, what, where, when is bringing in that information, then why is processing it? Why does this thing work? Why are all of these things here? Well, you know, why, what, you know, so if there's no who, what, where, when first, there can't be a why. Okay. So that's why it's in an order. And why processes the fallacies out and removes the contradictions out of our own thoughts and out of any information coming in before we explain that information or pass it on, on to others through rhetoric which is how. So, you know, if we consider like this, like uh, input or grammar would be knowledge and then why or, or, or uh, logic would be understanding and then rhetoric or how would be uh, wisdom and expressing that information on to others once you've processed it. And then you have a systematic way to go through the information and verify it if somebody comes up with new information. So, you know, right away when somebody brings all of these false attacks against you, you already know that you've gone through all of the information and their information doesn't add up and they'll sit there and they'll attack me and say, well, you know, Jan doesn't like to take other people's opinions and critical feedback, but, you know, they have to read the information first. They can't give me valid feedback on my work without reading at first. And a lot of people don't grasp that, you know, that simple concept. They think that, you know, they're actually giving me feedback on my work that they've never read by bringing up completely irrelevant things to stuff that, you know, 
relates to, you know, the ice cream man and stuff like this. You know, it's just completely, entirely irrelevant nonsense. They'll criticize me for dismissing them and just saying, you know, this is ridiculous. You're not even looking at my work or what I'm talking about. Just like Simon Powell's screed on Radio 314 and on uh, Reality Sandwich. They never bother to read the work. And so they bring up your totally irrelevant nonsense like, you know, like this guy didn't find Wasson in the 15,000 documents, folks, that were half redacted by the CIA. And it's a bitch to read these things because this guy didn't find these these six or eight pages out of 15 to 17,000 pages. They couldn't be there. Well, folks, they are. I have the same damn set of documents. You know, I mean, get them for yourself. You can get all of the MKUltra files and look up CIA MKUltra Subproject 58 yourself. It's right there. It's really simple stuff, folks. But, you know, they'll actually bring up these entirely false, fallacious arguments and then say, you know, well, these extreme claims need extreme evidence. And meanwhile, they've ignored the previous 24 pages of my article that had 71 citations breaking down all of the evidence that they just claimed didn't exist. You know, and I mean, this is the, the type of poor thinking that, you know, and all of these guys that jumped on this bandwagon, you know, first Simon Powell wrote it, then my former co-author jumps in and Joe Rogan and Johnny Enoch and all of these guys. And I mean, it's just a, it's just a, uh, a herd of stupid, you know, it's like all of these guys patting each other's backs for not reading the information, not checking it, and creating a straw man argument about what it, what it even said without, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Right. Uh, may I add, um, I, I actually had a, I have five kids at home and I've recently had a, uh, an example of uh, my kid. He asked me, we were at the store. He says, how come everything on the shelf says natural, you know, what's unnatural. And then I went ahead and of course did a uh, special grammar. I said, you know, whenever you see labels on foods, that's governed by the FDA and whatever they deem is what natural means is not necessarily what your a definition of the word natural is. So that's where a special grammar or the concept of special grammar has really helped me understand uh, and actually look up stuff. And so then we came to the FDA website and sure enough, there is no strict policy for the word natural. So that's why they're able to use it with words that have added color, artificial flavors, or it even says synthetic substances. Like they could really put anything on there and call it natural. And uh, th that was just the first uh, lesson really that I started, you know, that, that I gave him on grammar because well, sure, I had to know, introduce and, him to the concept. And, and that's, that's key because when we're, when we're in a conversation with somebody and this goes on with legal stuff too, you know, the word that you're using and, the, and you, just because you're using the same word doesn't mean that you're using the same definition. Just like in, in legal terms, the word person is a corporate entity under, under legal terms, but to you and I, it's just a man or a woman. Right. So they use these tricks against us when we go through and we, we read these things. They use what's called a fallacy of equivocation. And that's where a word has w more than one meaning. And they'll use it. You know, it's just like the fallacy of equivocation that we reveal in the word deadhead. Is it just somebody who follows the Grateful Dead or is it somebody who's been tricked and drugged into not critical thinking? Right. And, and, and when you talk to a deadhead, they'll actually attack and put down any ideas of critical thinking and whatnot, you know, not all of them, but very many of them will. Yeah. It's the whole thing's been fascinating for me because I mean, I, for the first time used psychedelics, uh, within the past year and it really, I felt like it changed my life. And then like, but I could see like how 
if I, it's it's easy for me to see like after using it how I could have been pulled in multiple directions or sure. I could have been and it's and I think uh, I think you made a good point when you said you know I, I'm not saying these things couldn't be used as tools what I'm saying is, is that you have to have the proper education or the proper yes. understanding before you use them. And, and let me just be clear here that my co-author and I differ, differ on this point, but I get attacked all, all the time on this stuff, even though I made it clear in the last Wasson article and this one. You know, and people would not read the article, which, you know, it's in the conclusion. What we're saying, you'd be like, you're against, you know, Indian shamanism and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, the article is dedicated to the Oaxaca Indians in, in Hualta de Jimenez. How could I be against him if I dedicated the article to him? Did you bother to read it? You know, but um, in the conclusion, again, of this recent article, Manufacturing the Deadhead, it says the authors are in disagreement about the use of mind-altering drugs. One believes that we should not dismiss the potential of these substances as biological tools to open doorways of the mind and possibly spiritual dimensions. But those who consider these substances as only spiritual tools often ignore their dark side and have never considered that they can be as easily used as much for control. He recommends that they not be used without a prior thorough study in something such as the trivium method, and suggest that, like a knife, may be used to cut your food and also be used to kill. Psychedelics can be used to empower or control. It is important for people who use these substances to consider what others think of them who do not use them for spiritual purposes. The other believes that, given their provenance, they should not be taken under any circumstances. We must consider, does the predator think that these substances are tools for spiritual awakening or for the control of others. What the reader may believe is not necessarily the whole truth. How the elites of ancient Athens controlled the masses was through drug mystery initiations at Ulysses that they managed to keep secret for 2,000 years during their reign. And the secret agenda of how those mysteries were actually used for control hasn't been revealed for all to see until now, nearly 4,000 years after the mysteries at Ulysses began. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's just... I mean, it's just uh, I I have to I'm probably gonna have to reread your article at least five times because there's so much good pearls of information in there. And there's just like so many doorways that you can just really dive deep into. And I think it's just people they don't want to do the work to do it like they'd rather. Oh, sure. Well, that's that's the lazy argument. Right. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, you know, like Simon Powell's argument on on on. Uh, on reality sandwich, the argument that he used against me was my my article was very long and very detailed, quote unquote. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an empty argument. I was going to ask you, uh, and every time I, I think about asking you, I should have wrote it down. Um, shit. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, what, what were we just talking? We were talking about. Um, Something you were saying, it was making me want to ask you, uh, well, about the news, I mean, in general, like I did find it fascinating. This wasn't it, but like, since I've been listening to you, like I'll, I'll be at work and like, I'll go take a 15 minute break and I watch the news and I feel like it's, it's just, uh, it's just everywhere. Like there's everywhere is filled with, with, uh, bits of truth and a lot of lies or like it's mm -hmm. it's just it's just the bait and well, switch well a good a good sophist knows that they have to dress their material in about 70 percent truth to hide the 30 percent lies so this is what guys like mckenna and these guys do like dr brian acres or another article that they actually allowed to be published on reality sandwich 
uh, Dr. Brian Akers broke down McKenna's whole stoned ape theory and went through all of the citations and showed that McKenna uh, uh, falsified the citations and the the whole the whole argument was was false. You know, guys like Rogan, et cetera, go out there and repeat this stuff over and over and over, even though it's been debunked. You know, it's like let's get, step back, look at the research, look at what's going on, and when we see that, uh, you know, one another one of McKenna's largest influences was the Jesuit priest and eugenicist. Uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin and Teilhard de Chardin, he created the uh, the Omega Point theory, which became the Time Waves Hero and 2012 stuff. You know, and and this guy was a Jesuit priest. All Terence did was he took Pierre Teilhard de Chardin's uh, work on the Omega Point theory and then coupled it together with CIA agent Michael Coe's work on 2012 and then re-released it as this whole new theory. You know, and what's interesting is, you know, like going back to Daniel Pinchbeck, you know, he's got his 2012 uh, documentary that he put out last year. Now, and now he's out there uh, on Kickstarter requesting money for Reality Sandwich version 2.0 because obviously everybody knows that his whole promotion of uh, 2012 and uh, his sel- himself as the god Quetzalcoatl was a bunch of bullshit. You know, so <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Now I lost my train of thought there. Uh, Daniel Pinchbeck being bullshit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, well, you know, he's just, you know, they're out there, you know, getting this whole, you know, version 2.0 and, and trying to, to regroup, to, to keep promoting this stuff in a new way, you know, and it's like, come on guys, you know, they're just looking for new, uh, the, the new latest sophist, uh, trick that they're going to dress all of the stuff up and regardless. But, you know, like I said earlier, it's all about the, the bringing back of the old and the, as better than anything that the current uh, 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 presently has. And, you know, what's interesting is this idea of the archaic revival, and I maybe shouldn't say too much right now because uh, Joe Atwell found it, the co-author, my co-author on this article, but he found out that it was Gregory Bateson, who is another uh, researcher on MKUltra, who developed the term uh, native revival, which McKenna later changed to archaic revival. Yeah, it's... Uh... That whole thing was fascinating, especially when you were talking about the Course in Miracles. Like I remember, I remember reading a lot of that, and like, oh yeah, I read it too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, and it's so crazy. I mean, like, it, I guess like for me personally, like I think it's, uh, I, I think it's like for me, it's just been important to just keep moving. And I think a lot of times, I think a lot of people. Like I think the reason for their lack of emotional intelligence or to defending their right to be wrong and not wanting to like further expand on on their own education is I, I think it's just like they don't want to admit that they've been tricked. And well, I sure. think well, sure, yeah, it, you know, it it has uh, you know, and I interviewed David Asprey recently, and he brought this point up when I, I brought up the trivium, and they actually both work together when I step back and think about it, but. You know, first of all, when people are wrong, they have this reaction that their mommy isn't going to love them anymore. Okay, and so then they react that way instead of presenting the truth and, uh, you know, owning up to these things. So, you know, and a lot of these people that do this stuff are just sophists and part of the agenda. But, you know, it has to do with this, you know, is mommy going to love me anymore if I was wrong rather than just owning up and taking responsibility and then moving forward detached in an intelligent way. You know, there, you know, it's like when you, when you pick up a glass, you can, you know, full of water, you can look at the water, you can put your finger in it, you can smell it, you can tap the glass and you can do, you know, your five cents input on the glass and then you can set it down and you don't have to become that glass. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to become part of your philosophy and religion. You can analyze it and set it down just like you can, 
the information about you know psychedelic drugs and a lot of people will attack me well you couldn't possibly have tried psychedelics if you say all of these things you know which again i just read the conclusion of my article for all you folks out there but i've actually taken these substances many 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 hundreds of times so you know your arguments are irrelevant and i'm actually looking at this from having done this so many times and having done so much research over the last 20 years and having actually looked at the citations rather than ignoring them we see that people's own words and letters and the documents don't support this wishful thinking quantum delusion that everybody wants it to be you know they want it all to be blowback they want the cia agents to have just been dupes but folks you know you're making these arguments with no evidence what so ever and the evidence entirely contradicts such absurd notions so just let it go and go study the facts and information citations don't be afraid to call up the libraries and the universities that i source these documents from and ask simply ask the librarian to send you your own copy of the documents so that you can verify them it's really simple stuff folks the David Harriman interview, uh, part one and part two, on the philosophic corruption of physics and the logic leap really motivated me to um, look into absolutes, like find out the origin of like the history of a certain you know, study or anything like that. And now whenever somebody tries to argue with me, I say, well, what do you mean by the word blank? And, uh, you know, more than – more than 90% of the time, we're talking about the same thing, just using different words. And uh, one of the interesting things uh, about the uh, quantum physics, um, I forgot his name, is it Amit Goswami? Uh, yeah, he, he talked yeah, on the yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, boy. End, oh, yeah. I, I the, caught that one, and what a, what a laugh that in, was. In the end, it was like when he was challenged as to the validity of quantum physics, he said it himself. It was more like an exercise. Uh, that's what I got at the end from that sure. podcast. I well, don't you know, know what he, you got. Well, what I got was that he used very specific terms. He said that uh, quantum physics was like the matrix. He said that uh, he went, Joe Rogan said it's like voodoo and he's like, yeah, it's like voodoo, you know, and then uh, he says it's the merger of science and religion and he says that you can't verify it. Well, guess what, folks? That is not science. science. That is not science. You don't just make things up and say, well, I can't prove it. So therefore it's real. <laughs> you know, I mean, Amit Goswami, the guy is just a. a uh, in my opinion, I think he's a total charlatan. I mean, he's either so incompetent or he's got to be dirty as hell. I mean, just to, to you know, all of the, the fallacies that he uses, anybody who's taken a, you know, a class in logic or has memorized the logical fallacies, you know, spend 45 minutes studying the logical fallacies and then go listen to his interview on Rogan and you'll see it for yourself. I did see them and the the best – like I was trying to be as positive as I could and I was like, well, the best thing I can give from this is that it's more like lateral thinking as opposed to you know vertical thinking. That's the um, most well, positive thing like, I can give it, from this. It's, let, let me, it's more like this. Okay, logic is the art of non-contradictory non-contradictory uh, identification. identification. And so then quantum physics would be the art of fitting as many contradictions into one space and time as possible. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that makes it's uh, it's pretty crazy. You guys still there? Hello. 
<laughs> yeah, Hello? I'm still Okay, cool. All right, sorry about that. Um, everyone was muted. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of his. I'm not going to lie. I have his book on my shelf right now, The Self-Aware Universe. And oh. uh, and uh, I, I was going to ask you um, along those same lines, like I think – I mean – we were talking about what his motivations are, and, and I, it could be a grimy money motivation. Oh. I think uh, the cashing in on like the secret, cashing in on uh, what the bleep do we know, and I think there's there's a lot of money for those guys to be made. I was gonna ask um, John Haglin and the Natural Law Party. Uh, I haven't really looked into it. I have his book too. I didn't know if you'd looked into into him I at all. Not. I have because, not. No. Okay, because I know he's a quantum physicist too, and he's in both those documentaries as well. And uh, remember, he ran for president. So uh, sure. Well, you know, just to just to point out, I should mention, you know, that you know most of the MK Ultra stuff and Fourth World Wilderness Agenda Agenda Twenty One stuff comes out of the Esalen Institute. It's really the key place where they promoted it. Where guys like you know B.F. Skinner, who created operant conditioning and stuff, worked out of. But Amit Goswami is also uh, also works with the Esalen Institute, you know. So you know, to me, and uh, like I said, we've pu- published all of uh, Harriman's research on this. But to me, it looks like they're just intentionally trying to get the youth, and you know, th- especially through the colleges and, and things like that, to believe that there is no truth. I mean, you know, my my six year old when he was a year old, or even six eight months old, if he pushed a ball, he expected a reaction, and he knew it. You know, and it's like the, you know, somebody wrote me the other day, well, what do you think about all these things that prove that the mind can alter reality? And I'm like, what? Can you give me some examples? None. And I said, well, here, you know, let me give you a test and you can go out and you can see, you know, see if this works. What I want you to do is go out into your garage or to your toolbox and get out a large hammer. And then what I want you to do is lay your hand flat on the table and I want you to imagine as best you can that that hammer doesn't exist. Now I want you to swing down with that hammer full force on your hand. Now, what I want you to do is believe that the hammer is there and swing down with the on the other hand and do and do a test. Now, you know what happened there was one hand broken and one hand not, were both hands broken. Right? Now, I'll guarantee you every single time you're going to end up with two freaking broken hands. <laughs> it's amazing to me how um, you know how it has reached the point where it it has become popular culture to the people that are the educated uh, in our society. Like that is po- so like called educated, physics, right? It's crazy to me. Like sure, they succeed. Sure, you know, and it's like you know, say you know, somebody was telling me the other day. Well, everybody has their theory, and you know, there just is no truth. And you know, and she was using fallacies to dismiss me and the trivium and David Harriman and all of this stuff, which she hadn't even studied, but she was using fallacies to do it. And, you know, my point was, why not, instead of just thinking there is no truth and you can't know anything, when you see contradictions, rather than saying, well, there is no truth, how about go research those things out, find out where the contradictions are from, remove them, and then you'll be at the truth. It's, you know, it's really that simple. You know, one plus one is always going to equal two. When you when you go to the grocery store, the reason why you get change from the cashier in a specific amount is because you can know the truth. They don't just hand you an arbitrary amount of change, at, you know, every time you walk into the store. And for that matter, when you walk out of the store into the parking lot, is your car in a random damn place every time you walk out there? Or is it just missing randomly? And if it was missing, would you think, oh, well, quantum physics popped it into another place? Or would you think, oh, shit, somebody stole my car? 
I mean, you know, you got to have some freaking brains, people. If you know, Anybody who's telling you that truth doesn't exist is fooling you, and they're a sophist liar, and they're manipulating you, and it's a bunch of Kabbalistic, Talmudic trickery, and don't buy it. Precisely, and that that looking at the historical um, view of whatever subject it is, when you keep going further back, um, then you actually realize the progression of whatever it is that you're studying. That's one of the things I learned from that podcast about when uh, y'all were talking about Kant. But one of the things of Gino Denning's podcast. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh -huh. So one of the things about Gino Denning's podcast was I started looking into objectivism from Ayn Rand, and then I sure. took the uh, I I I purchased the I, I guess it was like ten dollars for the lecture. You know, so you, you know, you're going to be hated by everyone now just for <laughs> mentioning have. her name, and you're going to get you're literally going to get dozens of hate emails now from people, which is why I'm saying this because. People, you know, these people, they will always, you know, use guilt by association and killing the messenger and everything. And they will think that, you know, because if Ayn Rand said one thing wrong in her entire life, then she couldn't possibly have said anything right. And meanwhile, she wrote books debunking guys like B.F. Skinner using opera conditioning and all of this stuff who were working with the Esalen Institute selling this. I mean, she was fighting that stuff. And um, so she was showing people to how to find objective truth. And I don't agree with all of her points. And certainly... Alan Greenspan uh, misused her stuff, and she is blamed directly for what uh, he did, but uh, he misused her stuff and then created this fiasco. And he's even quoted as, you know, we have a quote in one of our old videos somewhere uh, where he even admits that it wasn't her work. I think Richard Grove put out that video. But, uh, I mean, the whole thing is a manipulation, and she's got a lot of good work in there. And, and unfortunately, you know, one of the best um, – Breakdowns of logic and the logical fallacies is another uh, person from the Ayn Rand uh, Institute is um, uh, Leonard Peikoff. You know, and Leonard right. Peikoff is his political philosophies are completely freaking absurd. I mean, he's he's very pro-Zionist and he he gets caught up in a lot of the mainstream stuff and he doesn't put his grammar before his logic. But his logic by itself, if you recognize that his key problem is putting logic before grammar and just focus on his logic itself, his logic work is really good. And you combine that with uh, the logic work of like Peter Kreeft and a couple of others. And Peter Kreeft is a, uh, on the opposite end, Peter Kreeft is a, a devout Christian and, you know, writes all of his stuff with this whole Christian slant. But, you know, by using the trivium, you can go through and get a balanced perspective from both and actually come out with a clear understanding because they both in their explanations of logic and how to do things make it very clear. But neither one of them together Neither one of them does it without an agenda. You have to study them both to really get a clear picture out of it. That's what I need to do. I need to look into Peter Kreeft because I've only um, read a lot of Leonard Peikoff's work. And sure, and, and make sure you and make sure you get the you know up on the uh, Trivium Education website is Peikoff's uh, entire lecture series. And you know, and they used to charge on Logic. They used to charge four hundred dollars for this damn set up wow. to last year. And now they're charging less than $10 for it. And it's really excellent. And you should really you know, go through it at least I've, I've uh, once a year just it. to refresh yourself. Have you? Excellent. Yeah. And I've, I've heard it probably four or five times already. You know, it's a huge undertaking. It's like 20 some hours of stuff. But you get so much out of it and just clear, clarifying your mind. You know, and, and Peacock gets, you know, and, and when I first heard this, I thought he was completely insane. But he lays out in there that, he thinks that mysticism and all of the spiritualism was being used for control, and he thought that you know this is where all of the tyrants originated. And originally, I just thought that idea was just completely absurd. 
But the more I look at, you know, MK Ultra and Aldous Huxley, Terrence McKenna, Gordon Wasson, and all these guys and what they've been doing, the more it's clear that they're selling this mysticism agenda for their own new dark age and their own, uh, you know, totalitarian uh, state. And so, you know, then it's like, oh, well, he was right about this this point. They are using that. And Ayn Rand would say that, too. And, you know, back then I just thought it was so absurd. But when we use critical thinking and I'm not, you know, an, an, an objectivist, I use all of these things and I use the trivium and I use critical thinking where the objectivists, they'll make sweeping generalizations like all Europeans are socialist or, you know, something like that. Whereas, no, they're not. But, um, you know, we we need to. Uh, just go through and study the information. You know, people are so into uh, the boy who cried wolf. You know, it's it's this this thing always repeats and repeats. People don't go and study things before they dismiss them. And you should always, you know, even if somebody is 95% wrong, you should hear what they have to say because the 5% that you get out of it may just save your life or change your life. And it's like, um, you know, if you can imagine a fool on the hill and on either side of the hill are, are two warring villages and the fool up on the hill, he's constantly, you know, c crying wolf and they don't believe him anymore. But, you know, the, the village on the other side of the hill, they're your enemy. And one day the, the village idiot, he comes running down the hill screaming, using all of these fallacies, the other village they're attacking, they're going to kill us all, all of these appeals to fear and all of this stuff. Oh my God, everybody run. And, and you say, well, you know, guilt by association he's committed this fallacy in the past we should ignore him and he's a fool and he's using appeal to fear or do you have the common sense to go stick your head up over the hill and look and go oh shit there's an enemy army coming you know and it's it's this you know sort of thinking just go and check and verify the citation and just because you see a fallacy doesn't mean that the information is wrong. There's something called the fallacy's fallacy, and you always need to be aware of it so that when you see do see a fallacy, you still go and check the information. Just because somebody calls you, you know, you're an asshole, so therefore everything you, you know, so therefore your work on science is wrong, you know, you need to actually go and check that, you know, and, and verify the information. The person may well be an asshole or whatever, but it's irrelevant to the research. So always just take a moment to check it because folks it takes a lot less time to spend a few minutes or a few hours or a few days to verify a belief than it does to spend a lifetime believing a lie. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, it's just so true. I think uh, I remember after I first watched uh, Zeitgeist, that was like when I really first started trying like on my, I guess, my path of education. I remember the first bit that attacked Christianity. I took so much shit because it was just showing similarities of other things and people like had such emotional responses and sure. uh and it's it's similar to like the way people are treating you now and i and i think it's it's just so critical that we just continue to like it's just like always being that learning phase like always sure. always being open just enough to hear what everybody has to hear what hear people out and then make a well, but not not but you know you don't want to let me just interject there you don't want to just be open-minded though because then you yeah. just allow any amount of crap and you need to be discerning and and filter the fallacies out and take in what's valid so this is you know the first stage of learning the trivium is you learn to spot other people's fallacies and how that stuff is you know the stuff coming in through your five senses and then as you get good at it and, and progress further 
then you begin to see the fallacies in your own thinking and you can filter those out. And then what you can do is like all of the information that you have in your head, then you go, oh, I didn't verify that. I need to go check it. Oh, it's BS. Oh, I didn't verify that one either. Oh, toss it out. You know, and, and then you, you go back and then you start building up your knowledge base from things that you've actually verified with your own five senses. And then you have self-esteem, your decision process, you know, your, your, your ability to make uh, solid decisions goes dramatically up because then you're not, you know, just making decisions based on whims and lies that you tell yourself or on some outside authority. You're actually able to simply just verify the things around you and make clear, concise decisions. Very recently, I've been introduced to the concept of penetration testers uh, against companies, and there's a, a a part of their profession that is social engineering, and you know they call themselves the good guys, and they you know lay out tactics, and there's books written on uh, you know combining FBI and CIA tactics on how to infiltrate uh, people or organizations by the use of by just basic human nature and the American culture uh, as a whole is is a uh, pretty conditioned to be helpful and be kind and be uh, you know so it's uh, sure. that's one of the things that they talk about that you know whenever you tell somebody to do something they will do <laughs> like without you know or to get them to do something you embed a command within uh, a larger statement or things like that and they'll have it in the back of their head and they'll act on it or keep thinking about it till eventually you get what you want i mean there's so sure. many these things are actually used by professionals in that profession sure. well this is you know what uh, edward bernays you know was the father of propaganda and he worked with gordon wasson and and uh, develop these things. Uh, Edward Bernays is the one who tricked America into thinking that fluoride in the water was good. And, you know, fluoride is what they make uh, Prozac with. You know, this is, you know, how they dumb down uh, society. In fact, there's a video that I that I put up in the uh, in the links in the new manufacturing, the Deadhead article that uh, goes to a, a video on uh, fluoride where they put fluoride in a Petri dish and show it killing everything immediately as soon as it enters the dish. But, um, you know, uh, Edward Bernays and uh, Walter Lippmann, who was another one of these guys who did this stuff, as did, you know, B.F. Skinner and these others that I mentioned, you know, they were all developing these techniques to um, use against the public. And they all, you know, they all worked out of the Century Club, Wass and Edward Bernays, Walter Lippmann, Alan Dulles, all these guys were all all out of the Century Club who were directly implementing this stuff. And then the others who weren't like Skinner went from Harvard directly to the Esalen Institute. And there's a number of others of these guys. And they literally brag about this stuff on their website. I think since I've begun exposing a lot of their stuff, though, they've pulled a lot of it. Uh, you know, a lot of the papers that were up there for years are now suddenly missing. So I've some of the good ones I've stored uh, alternate uh, copies of on my own servers for, for people to download. I was going to ask you uh, – you were on that uh, that radio show. That was the last podcast you posted. And I think you told her you were going to have to take uh, you were going to be taking uh, the CIA via trial. Were you going to do that through the uh, the court of record? I was just curious when you said you were taking them to trial. Oh, well, to you the know, well, well, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, and they're probably listening now. In fact, they just sent me four uh, denials against my appeals this week uh, that included Terrence McKenna and these others. And um, you know, they're trying to you tell me that uh, they have all these precedents and everything and we have all these other laws but they're they're telling me that I can take this to a district court and they're trying to tell me where they want me to take this to right well sorry CIA folks I know you're listening Michelle Meeks um you know I don't play that sophist game so we'll be seeing you in the uh state court of record and we'll be 
taking things that route and we'll be pulling some laws that show that you do not have the right to deny that these papers exist. Wow. It's amazing because me and Drew have, uh, we've had conversations after you had Freeman Bird on there and uh, we're thinking about taking Freeman Bird's course on uh, that, uh, that he has. And we listen to those podcasts. Sure. Well, you know, I have uh, some, some good friends of mine who, after having him on my show, they hired him for a big case. Uh, Basically what happened is their 12 year old boy was caught uh, tagging on a few corporate boxes with a marker and uh, writing like no corporate tolerance and no corporate hate, you know, silly sort of 12 year old stuff. And he gets caught by the cops and he admits everything. And then two days before their trial, the city and county decided to do a full SWAT raid on their house. And they find a, a small medical marijuana crop and all of this stuff. But they they kidnap the son and then take the son away. And, um, you know, they're. After, you know, and the son was the supposed threat, even though he's never been in trouble. And this is a a doctor and his wife. And, um, you know, they so they after they take the son away, they hold the rest of the family at gunpoint for another five hours searching and ransacking the entire house outside of the search warrant. So then we're invoking, you know, through, you know, Bird has been helping them. And uh, we have, you know, they've just filed lawsuit against every officer involved directly because, you know, when you get it. You know, a, a city, a county, a state, the prison system, they're all corporations. They're all tra- traded on Dun and Bradstreet. Now, would any sane person allow McDonald's to kick in their door with guns and take their kid and stuff, right? So, you know, why would you allow a corporate city to do this sort of uh, behavior? And so what they try and do is they, you know, they try, you know, everything that is under government is done by consent. So they trick us to consenting to all of their their tricks. So, you know, with uh, Bert's help, we didn't or they didn't consent. And, um, you know, they, the the there is a massive lawsuit against uh, every officer involved, the county, the state, the prison, uh, everybody. It's a it's a huge lawsuit right now. And it's a major hot potato because if it sets precedence, everybody's going to realize that their whole game is just a dog and pony show and it's all you know, done on, on your complying to their words. You know, when they pull you over, you, you agree that you're driving a vehicle. You don't drive a vehicle. You drive a car or a horseless buggy, unless you're doing commercial business. You're not a driver. You're a traveler because a driver is someone who's hired to do that business. So they trick you into these terms. Like when you see a a speed limit sign, the speed limit sign just says speed limit 55. It doesn't say 55 miles per hour. You interpret it to say miles per hour. It doesn't say inches or days or weeks or miles or kilometers. It doesn't say anything but speed limit 55. You interpret that. And the second you agree to it, you've agreed to their terms and you have to comply to it. You know, but if you don't agree, they cannot regulate travelers. They can only regulate commerce. You know, it's just you agree to that that marijuana is illegal. Well, marijuana is a word that they invented. You know, it's like they invented the word firearms. We don't have firearms. We have arms and they cannot regulate arms, period. So we just, you know, we don't consent. We don't play with their game and we have to look up the words that they use, like you said earlier. I wish um, Freeman Bird would uh, publish some of these, uh, like the cases after they've been closed, so we can uh, refer to them whenever we tell people about that. That really exposes sure, the I mean, matrix. You know, after, uh, after my friends, 
after my friend's case is closed, we'll probably be doing a show with them and, uh, you know, expose the whole thing. So right now it's, uh, gone quite a ways and they've done quite well. And, um, you know, the, the, the court just doesn't know what to do with people who are empowered and won't submit and play their game, you know, and they, they try and threaten and play all of these games. And then every time they threaten, they get a counterclaim filed against them, holding them responsible for threats and duress and all of this other stuff. I love, I love the idea of the trivium because it applies to everything, especially that the special grammar of the courts. You know, when you get a law dictionary or, uh, you know, I have Bouvier's now after listening to your podcast and just looking things up and how it, it, the government's purpose is that it needs to remain consistent. It cannot go against itself or it all falls apart. And I'm starting to see that now, like the way the wording, you know, when you look at investigations on YouTube or anything like that, it's all about getting the person to believe that their words are valid. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and we have to agree to these words and any claims that they make, you have to file a counterclaim. And that's always key. You know, it's like if they if they state that, uh, you know, they have the right to regulate marijuana, you can go in and file a counterclaim citing the Bible that man has the right to use all herbs and seeds, period, done. And whatever wow. you submit then becomes law. See, and if you don't submit anything against them, then what they say becomes law. But you can call for a higher authority. I only support God's law. I can't support your law. And God's law says this, period, done. Are you familiar with uh, – um I'm I'm kind of friends with Ben Stewart who made that movie Ungrip and like the Peja family in uh, Canada. How he went through that um, process? I don't know. I don't recall that. He he did that in Canada. And now he's kind of in his own sovereign. He's kind of created his own sovereign. Uh, his like his house and everything and land. It's like his own sovereign land. Um, it's it's just kind of fascinating. And that's that's what first turned me on to it. And then like hearing you and Bert talk about it. Like, I, I just never knew how to really do the how-to, because I think he did right. do that well, as well. And that's, and that's, you know, the key thing is really just uh, acknowledging that it's all done by consent and then recognizing that, you know, logic is required to see the trickery and the sophistry that they use to get a, to to consent, you know, and uh, hand over our, our rights and everything that they do. It's all done on sophistry. It's all, you know, Kabbalah magic. You know, in fact, the word magistrate comes from the word magi. Yeah, that was a the one with uh, you and uh, Jose Jose Barrera. Yeah, I've watched that twice. The whole spell binding, and it's just so true. It's it's like it really is magic. It's we we let it happen to us, and it it's like it's not literally magic, but like in the sense of no spell no no binding. no no that is that is what magic is. Yeah, sorry. See, yeah. see, let, let me let me just be clear here, okay. So Magi, the ancient Magi in like Egypt and stuff, you know, these were the, the guys who wrote the laws, like the magistrates. It's all about words and spelling. So when somebody casts a spell, why is it called a spell? What is spelling? Isn't it, doesn't it deal with words and letters? What is the word abracadabra? Abracadabra comes from the word, it's similar to the word abacadarian, A-B-C-D, one who studies their A-B-C. So abacadabra, right? So it's, it's A-B-C-D. And so it's just somebody who knows the alphabet and knows how, you know, essentially the sophistry and how to use words to create gods and corporate entities to, you know, they literally spell these things into existence and then they get everyone to follow them to do their bidding. You know, so whether it's a law or a corporation, you know, the magistrate creates the corporation, which is literally a fictitious god entity. You look in Black's Law Dictionary, it says a uh, an entity, a spirit. 
you know, under under corporation. I mean, these are the words that they use for this stuff. And uh, so they're literally they they write something down, they cast a spell and they bang a gavel or wave a wand. And then this entity, this God, this whatever is created. This spell has been created. See. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Um, Jan, how much more time do you have? Do you want us to, to wrap this up for you? Or? Yeah, why don't we start wrapping things up here? Okay, I know you're a busy guy, and we, re- again, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been awesome having you on. It has. Yeah, Thank you're you. welcome. Um, I was going to ask about, uh, I think it was, I think Quantum Fix, I, I really don't have anything. You've pretty much just blew, blown me away with the magic. Mick, do you have anything else to ask Jan? Uh, no, I don't. I don't have anything. I just want him to plug in his. Uh, yeah, yeah. His, you want to go uh, ahead and plug your stuff. And, yeah, and just say how people yeah, can get. Yeah, sure. Um, and also, just also want to say, you know, support Jan. Uh, donate to if you can afford to. You know, donate money to Gnostic Media. I'll let Jan. I'll let you do all that stuff. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. All right. Well, the the main website is GnosticMedia.com. That's G-N-O-S-T-I-C Media.com, and then. Uh, the Trivium Education website is triviumeducation.com. That's T-R-I-V-I-U-M education.com. And uh, people, you know, I'm also the uh, publisher of John Allegra's book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. And uh, his work was absolutely essential for us figuring out all of the work about the and Gordon Wasson, and et cetera. Without the attacks done on him, we would have never put this stuff together. But uh, his website is johnallegro.org. And uh, I've been working with his daughter for almost, uh, looks like about nine years now. So, um, you know, uh, people can go there and check out that, out, that stuff out. And please do donate. We also take Bitcoin donations and things like that if you don't have cash to donate. And um, we can take uh, various forms of help and things like that if you have uh, particular talents that you think we could use. And we also need, aside from money donations, we could use some uh, new microphones and things like that. So, uh, you know, any sort of that help is always great. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, John, yeah. Uh, you've done a great job also. I just wanted to throw it in there that uh, John Allegro was attacked unfairly after publishing that. And it pretty much ruined his career from what I understand. Right. And uh, you, you've done a lot to recover that and, and, and right. expose the, the reality behind it. And I appreciate sure. that as a you know, former uh, fundamentalist Christian. And you know what I mean? And that is now a person that's now seeking the truth. And uh, I really appreciate that. I, yeah, yeah. I as well. Uh, I love. I tell you what, I love hearing John Allegro talk and all the audio clips that you have of him and everything else like that. Like, uh, it's it's been fun for me personally. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> well, they're, they're, the irony is is that these dumb dumbs doing all of these attacks on me, and you know, a lot of them are intentional. You can see it, but uh, it's the exact same tactics that they used against Allegro in the '70s. I mean, it's it's identical. I can see the whole damn thing. Well, everyone, uh, follow Jan on on Twitter. It's at Gnostic Media. Um, go to his website, just like he said. And Jan, thanks a lot for coming on today. Uh, appreciate it. Um, anything we can ever do to help you out, you know, just let us know. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you guys, both Drew and Mick, for having me on. I really appreciate your time. Oh, it was awesome. It was our pleasure. Yeah, it was. So much. Yeah, we've been I'm not screaming like a schoolgirl because I'm really trying to compose myself. <laughs> and I, 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 I promise I, I tell everybody about Gnostic Media, and this is something really big for me. And thank he's you very a, much. Yeah, he's a Gnostic Media evangelist, and I guess just to put <laughs> it in that go. term. Um, well, well, you thank- know, we're not we're not trying to create a religion here, so be no, careful. No, not with at that, all. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Watch yeah, your people will say, oh, well, the trivium is just another religion. No, it's just who, what, where, when, why, and how, folks. It's really that method. simple. Correct. Method. So, all right, gentlemen, thank you so much. 